tonight. Most of us got here right as church was starting, so you haven't probably talked to everybody yet. God bless you. You may be seated. We will, uh, I will not make you stand tonight for the reading of the word. Um, Exodus 25 and Exodus 26 is where I will read from here in just a moment. Uh, I want to, um, I want to tell you that I almost, I came very close to um, taking tonight as a break from our uh study we're doing right now and praying through the tabernacle and and actually preaching something different um because i feel like what i what what i something that i feel to minister to our church is it i almost feel like it is a wednesday night message because it's a it's it's kind of a little bit tough to swallow and and i feel like it's one of those things we just need to really break down but if the lord will help me i'm going to preach it on sunday I prayed about it today, and I just felt like I need to hold that till Sunday. But I do have a word, I feel like, for our church this coming Sunday. And I would ask that you would... It's not often I ask you to do something like that, but uh, I even was was in my mind thinking how to preach this message, how to get it across the way it needs to come across. I'd like you to pray for me this week, that God will bless us this weekend and help me preach. Amen? That's a good thing to pray for me anytime. Exodus 25. Beginning with verse number 8, the Bible says, And let them make me a sanctuary. I am glad for sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So the Lord said, I want them to make me a sanctuary. We would call it the tabernacle in the wilderness, that I may dwell among them. Now, we talk a lot of times about us wanting to go to God, but this is an instance when God said, I want to come to them. God loves you. Don't ever forget how much the Lord really cares for you, how much He really thinks of you. You really are the apple of His eye. And God loves us so much that God, who who exists in all of his glory and splendor, said, I would like to come and be among them and dwell among them. And he did this with the tabernacle. Later on, he did it in in a more extreme manner uh, by coming in human flesh. And he was Emmanuel, God with us. Exodus 26, 37, the Bible says, And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold, and thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. Tonight I am focused on uh, the posts of the tabernacle. Uh, There are three different places where you will find posts uh, as far as doorways, entrances in the tabernacle, and I want to focus on those tonight, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll see if the Lord will help us. Amen? Everybody said praise the Lord. Now, Hebrews 9 and 9 will tell us, if you were to read it, I don't have it, I'm not going to throw it on the screen, but if you would read it, Hebrews 9 and 9 would tell us that the tabernacle of Moses was a figure. Everybody say figure. It was a figure. In other words, it was a symbol. Or it was uh, a, I, I was looking at that word figure in its original language in the Greek. And when you look at that, one of the things that it said that I thought was pretty interesting is it said uh, it, it is a parable. So in one sense, the tabernacle in the wilderness, it was a parable that was, that was showing us something that was going to come. How many know that Jesus taught in parables a lot? What was a parable? It was a story. And, and through that story, Jesus was trying to impart an eternal truth. This is the thing. When Jesus begins to tell a parable, write this down, take a note of this, put it in your mind, don't ever forget this. When Jesus tells a parable, he is doing so because he is always trying to convey an eternal truth. 
and eternal truth. So every parable that you come across in your Bible has eternal value. Because it affects eternity, that means we need to pay attention to it. Anything that affects eternity, I want to sit up and take notice. So this tabernacle was a parable. It was a symbol. It was not perfect in the sense that the tabernacle was not perfect in the sense that it was temporary. But it was a shadow of the perfection which was to come through Jesus Christ. And most of the time, and and, and it's hard for me to get get through these things because I know there may be somebody here that doesn't understand this and I wish I I even had um, a picture of this to show you but uh, even the way that the tabernacle is laid out I could I could show you uh, uh, that tabernacle and I could overlay the cross on that tabernacle and you would see how it corresponds to Jesus Christ and and Jesus lived literally he lived the, the tabernacle plan. He literally lived the tabernacle plan. And so, uh, really, when I usually speak about the tabernacle, I'm normally speaking of it in the sense uh, of how it leads us to salvation. Okay? And I'm showing you repentance, uh, the altar as, as uh, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And uh, the labor of water as the burial of Jesus Christ and, and how we identify with those things. We come and repent at the altar and we die out and we go to the waters of baptism and the labor is symbolic of the waters of baptism where we call on the name of the Lord as we did Sunday and wash away, our sins are washed away in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's normally how I do it, but Right now, we're trying to go through this and show you that you can pray through this tabernacle plan, and it is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us to come closer to the Lord. Now, um, we don't use the Old Testament tabernacle, thank goodness, as a literal example of worship today. All right? If you come in here with a goat, and you think we're going to kill that goat, and, and we're going to sacrifice it and burn it on an altar for you. This is not the place to come to do that. And this preacher will not help you do that. Uh, you can go handle that on your own somewhere. We are not under that anymore. Um, it is not a literal example of worship, which is what all those things were to combine together. The law has been done away with. Can you say Amen. But we can use this tabernacle as a pattern. We use it showing us, as I told you, salvation, and we can use it as a pattern of prayer. One of the things about the tabernacle that we need to understand is that it was not a place of stagnation. It was not, what do you mean by stagnation? I mean where something sits. You don't go to the tabernacle to sit. And, and let me say, when we come to church, we should not come to church just to sit. We should come to be involved. It is set up in such a way this tabernacle is. Matter of fact, if you would put one of the pictures um, up there for me, uh, why don't you give me, yeah, that, that picture right there will be just fine. You will see when you look at the tabernacle, and uh, by the way, we have already covered the first piece of furniture, which is the brazen altar. We have covered the laver, uh, and we talked about the brazen altar being a place when we come in prayer to God, we repent for things maybe that that are not right in our lives, we ask God's forgiveness. Then we go to the labor, which is the washing of the... the washing of the Word, the Bible teaches us. And so we read the Word of God. So so we're going to cover some other things tonight. But everything is progressive, isn't it? It's always in this state of motion. You You are to be moving continually forward. It is not static. It is progressive. Every step that you take in this tabernacle, brings you closer to God. It brings you into a deeper place of intimacy and revelation of who He is. Can you say amen? There were three different doors or gates or entrances that are contained within the tabernacle. You will see there's three different entrances here. The first one would be this on this bottom left of the screen. Uh, the entrance between these two red curtains that you see there. 
That is the first entrance that I'm going to discuss. The second one is, again, where this red curtain is, and it's got posts standing in front of it. This is the second entrance. And then the third, of course, would be, and, they, and they've got it kind of cut away there so that you can see inside the Holy of Holies, but that is actually where it says Holy of Holies. That would be a smaller room. And there was a veil there, and there were posts there as well. So uh, there, there's these three different entrances, and let me just talk about those a little bit tonight. The first gate gave access to the outer court. The outer court is everything that is that is inside the uh, the fence here, if you'll let me say it that way, but it is not inside the other room that you see there at the top. Matter of fact, would you give me one of the other pictures? Let me see if there's another picture that'll expre- that, that expresses it a little bit better. So the outer court is everything that is outside. The inner court, is, uh, which would be holy place and holiest of holies, is everything that is covered inside that smaller building there in the back of the, uh, the courtyard. The first gate gave access to the outer court, and it was supported by four posts. Now, if you, uh, if you would go back, thank you. It is supported by four posts. And I tell you what, let's move through to another picture. I, I want to give the best uh, one more. Let's go to the next one. Okay, go back to the, uh, the one you had, second one you had shown a moment ago. Not that one, but the one you showed after that. There we go. There are four posts there in that purple piece of curtain that you see. Those four posts have significance to us. The second entrance that you can see there with also has a purple curtain uh, behind it, and there are five posts that support it, and the third entrance, bringing you into the holiest of holies, had four posts. So what I'm going to share with you tonight, are you all with me for just a little bit? All right. Um, what I am going to share with you tonight regarding all of these entrances and these posts, I'm really focusing on the posts, I realize, let me just tell you this up front, that on this, I am going to give you my personal opinion about some things. I cannot go to the Word of God and, and say this is exactly what this is and this is exactly what this means. There are some things about what God does that we will never understand until we all get to heaven. You get that? I, I got news for you. If you have questions... You could live for God for 50 years, and you will still have questions. And there are some things that you will not know until you can ask the Lord face to face. But what we do know is that the Lord is a God of purpose and of planning. Nothing, absolutely nothing that God says, absolutely nothing that God does is ever by accident or happenstance. He is so very precise. He does everything on purpose. And so it's, it's noteworthy that he gave precise instruction concerning exactly how many posts that each entrance would have. If it did not matter, then God would not have specified. But you always specify the things that you are particular about. Amen? I, uh, if I go to a fast food place, it just so happens that I am a fairly picky eater. Nobody else like that in this room besides me, right? I am a fairly picky eater. If I go to a fast food place and I'm uh, ordering a a, a burger or something, uh, I am going to tell them exactly how I want that burger to come. Now, now, I like, I love to eat beef. Thought I'd get an amen there. I like to eat beef and I like cheese. But I do not like cheese on my hamburger. And I am a little bit frustrated. And if one of you knows somebody that matters, I wish you would do me a favor. I wish you would tell whoever needs to be told that McDonald's or whatever place you want to talk about needs to bring back options. Why is it that you cannot go to a place and everything is a cheeseburger? I have a severe issue with that. Y'all pray for me. I'm going to get. I'm going to get over it. But so I'm always so careful to specify to them how. I want my food. And, and uh, these are things we do when we're intentional and we mean what we say, right? So God means what he says when he tells Moses, this is how you are to build my tabernacle. 
So I'm going to tell you tonight what these posts mean to me and to others that I have had uh, give instruction to me and have taught some of these things to me. If you don't agree and you don't want to believe it quite like that, it's going to be all right. Uh, you can afford to be wrong on this. This will not make you miss heaven. Okay? There are some things I preach you need to agree with me on. If you don't agree with this, you can still make heaven, all right? But at the least, you're going to learn something uh, from things that I'm saying. Are you all with me? You all ready? All right. So, remember, of course, that you got to remember this, that the tabernacle is about progressive relationship and revelation. Got that? That is very key to remember. So everything that I do as I'm praying through this tabernacle is moving me ultimately closer to God. Uh, So let's keep that in mind considering these gates. Each gate speaks something about Jesus. It speaks something greater about Jesus as you progress into the tabernacle about he who was to come. I believe in something called dispensations. I believe in something called dispensations. And simply stated, a dispensation is a time period in which humanity, people, operated under a particular governing idea or concept that God allowed humanity to operate under. All right? So um, uh, we believe currently, uh, if, if, if you are dispensationalist, you believe currently that we are living in the church age dispensation. Some people would call it the dispensation of grace. Uh, However you want to refer to it, I prefer church-age dispensation. Uh, But if you want to call it the dispensation of grace, we're really talking about the same thing there. Um, that, That is what we are currently in. That's going to continue until the final dispensation comes, which will be the kingdom dispensation when the church is raptured. And we will rule, we will reign with Jesus Christ Forevermore, And Paul said, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that's going to happen one of these days, and we will then be in the seventh and final dispensation. Seven, of course, being God's number. So what is interesting to me is that when God gave Moses the pattern of the tabernacle that we're studying, there was a dispensational change that occurred at this moment in time. They moved from one dispensation into another, which we, are, which we would call the dispensation of the law. When you come into the tabernacle and to, to worship, to slay the, the lamb or to bring the offering, whatever it is you were bringing, you did so because you were fulfilling your duty as somebody who lived in the dispensation of the law. But up until this time, you got to notice this. Up until this time, there had been four previous dispensations. Now, I personally believe that the four posts at the entrance to the outer court that lead us anywhere, you can't go anywhere till you have come through these first four posts. I believe that they are there to remind us of all that we knew about God up until the time of the law. These had been vehicles through which... God had allowed us to have limited revelation of him, and those things had brought us their own particular piece of knowledge of who God was. They they represented to us how the people of God had known him, how they had related to him in the past and up until that point. So I'm going to tell you that if if you're looking at it in in the way I am, everything outside, if you're looking at this as a timeline, so to speak, Everything outside of this tabernacle is going to represent the four, and these posts signifying that, the four dispensations that God had used to allow us to know him. They are the dispensations of innocence, of conscience, of human government, and of the patriarchs. The first one there, innocence. This dispensation is the one that Adam uh, was created into, was made into. This is the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was called the dispensation of innocence because prior to their partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they lived in a state of complete innocence. They were innocent. There was no sin in their life, folks. There was no wrongdoing in their life. They were completely 100%, something you and I would never be able to say, 
innocent before God. Because we were born in sin, we were shapen in iniquity. But that is not something that they had, uh, they had done because God had made them. They were created beings. They were free from sin during this time. They did not know. Think about this. Adam and Eve did not know what it felt like to live outside of the express purpose of God. They had no clue what it felt like to be outside of the purpose and the will of God up until they partook of that fruit, of that tree. So, that is the dispensation of innocence. Now, that ends whenever they take that bite of that fruit. And God says, I told you that in the day that you ate of it, you would surely die. He did not mean a physical death. He did not mean a physical death. God meant that there would be a spiritual death. And I want to tell you tonight that there is, there is something worse than death. And that is spiritual death. It is worse. It is, it is, it, no one wants to die. And, and I, I'm sorry if I didn't mention it specifically tonight, but there was, uh, there was a situation of a family that uh, was driving down the road uh, out of Swifton, I believe, and and somebody came out of a another road and hit that car, uh, just just hit them right in the, in, in the driver's side door, head on, and and uh, that person was ejected. They were driving the car. They were ejected out of the passenger window of the car. It was so horrible, and they passed. And it's a very very horrible tragedy. Death is a horrible thing, but there is something worse than death, and that is spiritual death. And the reason God had to drive Adam and Eve out of the garden was not because of the sin they had committed. The reason he drove them out is because if he left them in there, there was also a tree of life in that garden. And as long as they ate of the tree of life, they would have lived forever. But God had to get them away. And the Bible said that he placed an angel there with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. That's what the Bible says. So he wasn't guarding Eden. He was guarding the way to the tree of life. And so the death that God was speaking of, it was not a natural death. They did die later on because they don't have access to that tree. But they died spiritually that day. And I I don't want to get into a Bible study about later on. But the Bible says, and without us, they cannot be made perfect. They were dead up until Jesus Christ did everything he did on the cross. They were still spiritually dead, and he went and led captivity captive. Can you say amen to that? So uh, they partook of the fruit. When that happened, there was a dispensation change. They moved from innocence to the dispensation of conscience. This period of time begins after the fall, and it continues until the flood, the flood of Noah. During this period of time, God allowed humanity to live according to their own conscience. And as we all know, the results of that were catastrophic. The Bible says that in the days of Noah, God got to looking. This was before those days, but up until that time, God got to looking at people. And the Bible said that every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. It proved to us what happens when men and women live according to the philosophy of I'm going to do that which is right in my own eyes. When we do what is right in our own eyes, I'm going to tell you what happens when we don't have the Spirit of God to govern us. And, and I'm going to tell you this. This, this world can, can say, well, I don't believe in God. Not, and, and claim to be an atheist and say, I don't believe in God, so what you're saying doesn't affect me. Oh, yes, it does affect you. The Bible says, well, I'm, I'm, y'all pray with me that I'll get back where I need to go tonight. But the Bible said that he that letteth will let up until the time that the spirit is taken out of this world. What does that mean? That means that there is something that is holding back the spirit of Antichrist. And I'll tell you that there is something that is holding back the, the spirit. Uh, uh, let's not even say spirit. There is something that is holding back the absolute effect of what would happen if everybody was, was governed according to their flesh alone. And that is the Holy Ghost. This world doesn't know it. 
And, and I can say it to you tonight and you'll amen me and you'll say, that's good. And yes, sir, I believe that. They don't know it. But the best thing that has ever happened to this world is that God has put his church in the world that is filled with his spirit. Because the church is holding some things off. And, and they didn't have the Spirit here in this age of conscience. They did not have the Holy Ghost given unto them. And so God said, I will let them live according to their own conscience. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And humanity grew so evil. Folks, think about this. Humanity was so evil that there was only one man that was able to find grace in the eyes of God. Only one. That was Noah. So God told Noah to build an ark to the saving of his household. And he did that. And we know that the Lord uh, allowed the fountains of the deep to be broken up. And the rain to come. And, and there was a flood. And God began over with Noah and his family. That was the age of conscience. So now let's move to the third dispensation. The third post here on the front of this tabernacle going into this gate. Uh, this is the dispensation of human government. It begins with Noah and his family getting off of the ark. And it concluded with the Tower of Babel. In this dispensation, people began to organize. People began to try to govern themselves through humanistic means. Their humanism culminated in their desire to build a tower which would reach into heaven. And their mantra was, let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. Of course, we know that God halted that work. God confounded their language and he spread them throughout the world using uh, language as a way to do so. This was the dispensation of human government. That's the third one. The fourth one is, the fourth post here is the dispensation of the patriarchs. We entered that after the Tower of Babel. You will notice in your Bible, when you finish reading about Babel, the next thing you start reading about is a man by the name of Abram, who became Abraham. So we entered then into the dispensation of the patriarchs. It begins with Abraham. Then it moves to Isaac. Then it goes to Jacob. Then it goes to Joseph. And it continued up until the time that God established the tabernacle of Moses. I believe. That when you see those first four posts, when you're entering his gates with thanksgiving and you're coming through those first four posts, you are seeing a representation of everything that had brought them to that point. Everything that had brought them up to that point. The age of innocence, the age of conscience, the age of human government, the age of the patriarchs has brought them now to this place. And they entered through that gate and they are now in the dispensation of the law. They are in the dispensation of the law. They are ready to go forward. The takeaway in prayer is this. You say, what does that matter when I pray? Well, I probably belabored it a little bit, but, but I'll tell you what the takeaway for you is, this, is here. It's don't ever forget where God has brought you from. Don't ever forget what God has done for you. Don't ever forget how God has put his hand on you. Don't ever forget what you used to be, but God brought you out of that. God's changed your life. He got you up out of the miry clay. He set your feet on a rock to stay. It's only by the grace of God that we have the understanding of him that we have today. Do you realize even Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, none of them understood God in the way that you understand God tonight. Do you, under, do you add that? They had limited revelation of who he was. It's only by his mercy that we know him as we do. God has brought us, as one person said, a mighty long way. And when I think about what I could have been if I had stayed on that path, when I think about where I might have been if I had remained going that way, it makes me want to clap my hands. It makes me want to say praise the Lord. It makes me want to worship God when I think about what I could have been and what he has made me today. And I'm nothing really yet, but I'm a whole lot something better than I could have been. The Apostle Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 2 and 9. He said, but you, 
He said, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him. Him who what? Him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I am thankful for everything that God has done in my life. Amen. So that is the four posts, I believe, that you enter as you come into the tabernacle. That gets you into the outer court. Then we have five posts that come up as we enter into the holy place. If you would put uh, that picture will be just fine. Five posts there as you are going into the holy place. You have come through the gate. You've passed the brazen altar. You've passed the labor. Now you are there at the holy place. Five posts. Again, these posts represent the knowledge of God that was obtained this time during the dispensation of the law. No prophet stated it more clearly and enduringly than the prophet Isaiah who said in Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name, y'all ready? His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I believe tonight those five posts that bring you into the holy place, they are simply more revelation and understanding of who our great God is. I believe that we know Him better now than we did before. We still at this time see through a glass darkly, but there is more clarity at this point than there previously has been. This is a great place for us to pray and to call on God. For every one of those posts represent a significant need in our lives. I want to tell you tonight that we need God. We need God. He's not just a good thing to have. You need Him. He's not just something that that it's handy when God's with you and you run into... No, no, no. You need God. You need Him. So let's talk about these five posts. Wonderful. What is wonderful? Well, this word, when you study it, this word means that he is beyond the bounds of all human expectation. Any expectation that you have about God, Paul would have said it like this, because he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Any expectation that you have about God, His wonder surpasses that. God goes beyond that. God moves past that in such a marvelous way. He is wonderful. Is there anybody here tonight that knows how wonderful He is? I'm not going to read these, but I'll give you these verses real quick. If you were to look at Matthew 7, 28, Matthew 8, 27, Matthew 13, 54, Matthew 15, 31. If you looked at Mark 1, 27, Mark 2 and 12, Mark 6, 51, you would find something. Every one of those verses speak to the fact that when people saw what Jesus did and when people heard what Jesus said, they were amazed, they were in awe, they marveled, they wondered at Him because of the wonderful things that He did. I am going to tell you tonight that He is wonderful. I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. I found out you've come way too late tonight to tell me that He is anything but wonderful. You have come way too late tonight. Boy, I feel like I'd like to shout about it right now. You've come way too late tonight to tell me that God is anything but good. That God is anything but full of wonder. I have tasted and I've seen. I've been with Him. I've seen what He can do when I was in a low place. I've seen what He can do when you were in a low place. And if we got to talking about it tonight, if we had testimony service, we could have the roof blown off this place. When we We got to talking about the good things of God. Why? Because He's wonderful. He is wonderful. He is full of wonder. 
You begin to talk about that. You begin to talk about how he goes beyond your wildest expectation. You begin to talk about how he has amazed you. When we sit down and we begin to share stories and and we sit around and we start talking about things that God has done, it will blow your mind when people start sharing some of their stories. It would blow your mind. I was the other day, I had a friend, and I shared this with somebody in the church. I had a friend, he told me, he said, you need to get on YouTube and you need to pull up a particular uh, video of, of old brother Merle Ewing uh, sharing a story. And so I got on there and I pulled it up and I got to looking at it. And what happened was in this story, he was, this is shortly before he passed away and, and he was sitting in his recliner at his house. And what you'd have to understand a little bit of backstory. He was just a young man still. He was probably in his 20s, mid-20s or so when his dad passed away. If I was guessing, you might know more than me, but I'd say he's in his mid to late 20s when his dad passed away. His dad pastored a church there in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Brother Ewing was, had, had been uh, somewhere else uh, pre, uh, uh, assisting, and they asked him to come back and to assist uh, there at his home church with his father. And so he had come home, and they were, they were having great revival. They were getting ready to build a church, and his dad died and passed away. I, I believe he had a massive heart attack and died very unexpectedly. Brother Ewing uh, assumed the pastorate of the church, and they began to go forward, and they started to build their building. And I'm, I may get some of these details a little bit different, but, but I believe I've got it pretty much right. He said one day they had delivered the trusses for this building. And, and it was a large building that they built. And he said, he said, I was just really overwhelmed. And he said, I climbed up on top of those trusses. And he said, I was just thinking, Lord, I'd just like to know that, that my dad would be, would, could somehow know that this church was being built. This was his dream. This is one of the things that he wanted to see accomplished for you and and, and, and he said, I, I just needed my dad. And he said, I was sitting there on those trusses. And he said, I looked up and he said, across the field, he said, as clear as day, he said, I could see my dad walking toward me. He said, he's walking toward me. And he, he described the clothes that he had on. He said he had his old hat on. And, and he said, you'd have to know, he said he had had uh, some kind of physical issue, so he had one arm that he couldn't raise as high as the other. He said he was coming just like he used to lift his hands. He had a great big smile on his face. He said, God, let me see that for just a little bit to let me know that, that, that my dad, uh, somehow God was letting him know what was going on. And, and God w- was bringing peace to Brother Ewing in that situation at that time, you get, he was telling all these stories and sharing some of those things, and I was watching that, and, and, and you can think what you want to think about that. I, I knew who Brother Ewing was. I trust him. I trust his word, and, and, and I began to listen to that, and I just began to feel something move all over me, and, I, and I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the wonder of who God is. We serve such a great God that can do things like that. We serve such a great God. He is so wonderful. He is so wonderful. There are things about him that you'll never understand. There are ways of his that are past finding out. He is a, the wonder of all wonders. And I told you the other day that the seven wonders of this world, most of them are gone. I think maybe one or two of them are fading away as we speak. The, one of the things that people like to talk about is the great sphinx in Egypt. Anybody ever heard of that? It looks like a big cat, and it's laying there in the desert, and they don't know who built it, and they don't know when it was built. And, and, but it's been there for years and years and centuries, they, they believe. But something about it, the nose fell off of it at one point, and it's got about half a nose, and if you give it another few hundred years, some more of it's going to fall apart. And if you give, give it a 1,000 or 2,000 years, you're going to find some generation's going to grow up, and there's not going to be any sphinx out there anymore. But let me tell you about our Lord. You come back one year from now. You come back a hundred years from now. You come back a thousand years from now if the Lord tarries. He'll still be going strong. He'll still be full of wonder. He'll still be doing the miraculous. He'll still be doing great things. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's wonderful. The second post is representative of the fact that he is counselor. 
when you get to this post, the first post, we begin to, to honor him for how wonderful he is. But the second post, we begin to ask for his perfect counsel and wisdom in our lives. Isaiah 11 and 22, the Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Psalm 16 and 17, the Bible says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. Psalms 33 and 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Psalm 73 and 24, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward receive me to glory. I want to tell you tonight. That I understand that counseling is a part of the church. I counsel people in this church at different times. And, and, and that is part of, of what I do as a pastor. I try to give them as clear and biblical of counsel as I possibly can. I do everything I can to steer people in the way of God. But I'm going to tell you that there are some things that without, without the help of the Holy Ghost, I'll never have the ability to help you with those things. I'm not going to tell you that I have all the answers because I don't have all the answers, folks. I, I, I can't tell you the best thing to do in every situation. I can, I can try. I can pray with you. I can, I can show you what the Word of God says in, in light of that particular thing. But I'm, there's some things that I can't necessarily tell you what is the perfect thing to do in that situation. I know that we're living in a day when we're dealing with a whole lot of junk. Anybody know that's the truth? And I want to say that I thank God for good Christian counselors. I'm not somebody that thinks that all counselors are of the devil. I don't, I don't believe that. I, I, I think that there are good Christian counselors. I especially would like to say thanks to God for our good apostolic Christian counselors. And we have them. And I thank God that we have people that are coming up that feel called to do such a thing. I thank God for that. They can help us if we will let them. But I want to tell you tonight. That with all of those things, with the counsel that you can get from the Christian counselor, with the counsel that you can get from the pastor, I'm going to tell you that there is no counselor like the counselor. He is in tune with you in a way that nobody else ever could be. He knows you better than you know yourself. And I'm going to tell you tonight that we have a need in our lives that we would pray, that we would ask God for His counsel. Without God's counsel, we're just jumping blindly from one thing to the next without ever having the surety of whether or not it's the right thing. Proverbs 15.22 says that without counsel, purposes are disappointed. If you don't receive the counsel that you need, your purposes are going to be disappointed. They're not going to come to anything. I've known some people who were as flighty as a hummingbird on caffeine. That's pretty flighty, isn't it? I, temp I was tempted to say as a hummingbird on crack cocaine, but I said I won't do that. As a hummingbird on caffeine. <laughs> Always jumping from one thing to the next. They have great ideas. They have grand ambitions. But they never follow through. Why? Too many of them are neglecting the counsel of God. They're neglecting the counsel of God. God will give you stability. God, boy, that's just too, too much where the rubber meets the road, Pastor. Go ahead and go back to preaching. Get off that, that practical stuff for a minute. God does it's not the will of God for us to jump around jump around jump around God wants to pr provide stability to us he will do that through his counsel I read something the other day it, it 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 made me chuckle somebody said I have a job interview tomorrow and this job I hope nobody in here said this if you have you know, just forgive me it's not this wasn't anybody in here that I saw say this so so I hope I pray for me I might offend somebody on accident. We'll get to that in a minute, okay? They said this job would be so perfect for me. I have this job interview tomorrow. This would be the perfect job for me. So please, please, please help me pray that they give me this job. And I wanted to say, don't you care at all what God has to say about it? I saw somebody one time, I heard somebody one time say uh, that, pray that God gives me this job because this is the one that he needs to give me. And I thought, well, you aren't you brilliant? 
that you know more than God. Listen to me, folks. You hear me when I tell you tonight. You're not smarter than God. It may not be the right job for you. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care what kind of money it has. I don't care where the location of it is. If it's not the will of God for you to have that job, you don't want that job, and you don't need that job. Well, that's pretty good. If, it, if there's not a good apostolic church attached to that job, you don't need that job. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. If it's going to keep you from being able to be in the house of God consistently, I know that there are times we work and we can't always be. I get that. But if you can't ever be in the house of God, you need to cut loose of the job. you got to cut loose of some things, folks. We need the counsel of God. Am I, should I quit meddling now and go on? Y'all need to give me a little more encouragement. Y'all make me feel like. Do you want me to pray that you get the job? Or would you rather I pray that God's will be done for your life? Folks, we need the counsel of God. Life is too complicated in 2014 for us to not be asking God for his wisdom and his counsel. I need, you hear me when I tell you tonight, I need his help in parenting my children. I need his help. I am scared to death. I don't, I don't think there's anything that scares me like the, the task of raising kids. Whew. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with school? What am I going to do with this situation and that situation? What am I going to do when they come home asking about this? And What am I going to do when I'm out somewhere and they say that? And, oh, I'm going to crawl under the table is what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, feel, I, I feel like you all are coming back to me now. I need his counsel. I need his help in pastoring this church. I love pastoring this church. I really do. But I can't pastor this church the way it needs to be pastored if God's not speaking to me and God's not helping me. And, and, and I get so frustrated with things and I'm, and I'm trusting God. Y'all pray for me when my faith gets low and it's hard for me to trust Him. I am trusting God. I, I wanted this property so bad. So bad. And I just knew we were going to get it. And I talked to the Lord about it, and I prayed, and, and, and I felt like we came to a decision on it and what needed to be done. And, and it, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work, but I had told him, if it went that way, Lord, I'll trust you in it. And then this property's been sitting here, sitting here, sitting here. They did this dirt work, and it sat and sat and sat. And there's a part of me started getting excited again. So I finally was able to get a hold of that guy the other day. I said, hey, I said, I just want to know, are you doing anything with this uh property i know it's set here and and i thought maybe you know you had began to have a second thought about it and you want to do something different if so we would be very interested to purchase that property from you he said you know what he said they're supposed to come this week if i got it right i think tomorrow they're supposed to come start pouring concrete and i said well i said i just wanted to touch base with you and let you know that if you were in a situation you wanted to unload it we were we were in the situation we we'd sure like to have it and and I got a little bit disappointed when he said that. I, I, I wish it would work out differently. I'm going to tell you what. I need God's help pastoring this church. I need his counsel. Because if it was me, I'd, I'd want to have that in a heartbeat. But I felt like the Lord told us how we needed to go about it. And so I'm just trusting God as the right thing. And one of these days, you mark my words, one of these days, I'm going to be preaching to you. And I'm going to be telling you, do you remember when we wanted that property so bad next to the old building on Straw Floor Road? And, and, and I, 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 it, it drove me crazy how bad I wanted that property for our church. But now look where we're at. Folk, we're going to have that conversation one of these days. And I'm going to tell you what's going to get us there. It's going to be the counsel of God. It's not going to be how smart I am or you are or anybody else is. It will be the counsel of God. You need his help in dealing with situations on your job. Some of you are dealing with things at work and, and, and you need his help. You need to ask for his help. 
You need to ask Him what to do. You need to ask Him to open the right doors and close the wrong ones and, and put you on the, in, 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 the, in the way that you should go in those things. You need His help. Some of you probably, I've got good neighbors, but some of you may need help handling that pesky neighbor or something. Just drives you crazy. Don't get the gun out. Don't run over their dog. Don't get ideas from what I'm saying right now. (laughs) Ask God to help you. When you're here at this post, this is a good time to pray for your family. Here I can pray for God to not only direct me, but to direct my wife. To help her in the things that she's going to encounter at work and in life. To counsel her about his purpose for her life. I can pray for God to direct my kids as they grow. I know, folks, that experience is a teacher, but there are some things that I would rather my kids learn through the counsel of God and not through personal experience and tragedy. And, and, and I don't buy this. Everybody's just got to make their own mistakes. <laughs> I don't want my kids to make some of the mistakes I've made. And I'm thankful my parents had the same prayer for me and I didn't make some of the mistakes they made. I don't want experience to teach my children some some hard lessons. I'd rather they get it from the counsel of God. It's a good thing to pull up to this post and say, Lord, be a counselor in my life. I pray for the people of this church to hear from God for the things that they're dealing with, the decisions that they're making. It would be a good thing for you to pray for people in this church too at the post of counsel. There's the post of the mighty God, wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Pray that God will show himself strong for those who are dealing with situations that seem to be so difficult because he is victorious. Because he's victorious, he can also be victorious in their life. Lord, let be victorious in the lives of the people that we know are in a battle right now. God, be victorious in the lives of people who are dealing with situations that are beyond them. Lord, be the mighty God for them at this particular moment in their life. I pray that His banner of victory and overcoming will be raised over every single person connected to this church that is going through things that are too great for them. He is the mighty God. I'm moving quickly now. The everlasting Father. When you get to the post of the everlasting Father, this is a place to pray for the sick. Pray for the hurting. There's a lot of people that are hurting, folks. There's a lot of people that are dealing with things in their past and experiences that they've gone through. God's, it's under the blood, but things still hurt sometimes. And somebody says the wrong thing sometimes. Not on purpose, it just gets said. And sometimes it brings old things back to the forefront of your mind, right? There's people that are hurting. Pray that He would be the everlasting Father to them. Pray for the offended. You know how many people don't go to church today because they're offended? The church doesn't always do everything right. I don't always do everything right as pastor of this church. It's not, I, there's going to be things, I won't handle everything just, I hope I, don't, I hope I don't just make a mess of it, but I may not handle it just perfectly. And people can get offended, and you and I can easily become offended. Let's pray for the offended at this place. Pray for our widows, pray for those who have nobody anymore. There's people in this church that they need to be prayed for. Pray for our orphans, pray for our imprisoned, pray for people who need a touch from the everlasting Father. Pray for the children of this church. Pray for our Sunday school kids. Pray for our Sunday school kids that are growing up. I don't want to see any one of them ever backslide and walk away from God. That is a goal of mine. You say, well, that's pretty ambitious. It may be, but that's the one I'm shooting for. I don't want to see any of our hyphen ever drift away from God. I'm praying for them. I don't want to see any of you ever drift away from God. I'm praying for you. 
but we've got to lift up our children. Some of them have great difficulty. We have people that come to this church, folks, that have tremendous difficulty, some of them in their life. And they go through things on a daily basis that you wouldn't even dream of, that you can't understand what they're going through. Some of you have never been there, and they're just children going through it. You need to pray for them. The fifth post here is the Prince of Peace. We live in a day of great chaos and confusion. Isn't that true? We have such responsibility that is laid upon us all. And everybody in this room fights a little bit of fear at times. The fear of a doctor's report that could change your life. The fear of children walking a path that you do not embrace for them. The fear of losing a job. The fear of not making enough money. Whatever the case may be, there is fear that comes to us all. The fear of making the wrong decision in some situation, circumstance... It is a day, because of all the responsibilities that we have, it is a day of tremendous fear. But when we come to this post, we must avail ourselves of the Prince of Peace. When we embrace peace, we shun turmoil. When we embrace peace, we shun chaos. When we embrace peace, we, uh, we go ahead and lay our head against the, the shoulder of Jesus and say, God, I can sleep knowing that you have all of these things in your hand. God is not the author of confusion. He is the God of peace. He is the God of order. And I do walk through valleys and you walk through valleys. But I'm not afraid to walk through a valley when I know that the Prince of Peace is with me. The, in the Bible, he told us, he said, my peace I, give, I, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. So I'm praying that we get a hold of that peace. Let peace reign in our homes. Let peace reign in our marriages. Let peace reign in our hearts. Let peace reign in this church. Uh, I don't ever want there to be. I, I, I know that things happen. I know, I, and y'all excuse me if you feel like I talk about the church too much, but, but uh, I, I don't think we do because the church is the body of Christ in the world today. It's a very important thing. But, but in this church, I, I've got another goal. Y'all ready to hear it? I've got another goal. One of my goals is that this church will never have a church split. I pray against it. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to be something I do. I don't want it to be something you do. I don't want there to ever be a split in this church. I believe that we can all go to heaven together. I believe that sometimes if we rub one another the wrong way, we can pray, we can get over it, and we can find peace in that situation, and God can help us. But there does not need to be a split ever in this church. I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, it's not the will of God. It is not the will of God. Let peace reign in this church. Then the last place, and I'm just going to run through this very quickly, the last place you came to was, will you go back to the very first picture? The holiest of holies. And at the holiest of holies, this is where the Ark of the Covenant, you see where it says that in the very back, Ark of the Covenant. Going into that particular room there, there were four posts. These four posts represented the continued revelation that we received about God through His Word. We knew Him from His interaction through the first dispensations coming through the first gate. We knew him from his interaction through the time of the law, which was the fifth dispensation, going into the holy place that gave us wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But now, at this place, we learn more of him, and we do so through four very important books of the Bible called the Gospels. These four posts, to me, represent the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Through these four posts, we gained a personal view of our great God. No longer was He impersonal. No longer did He seem far from us, but with the appearance of the Gospels, Jesus, as we finally can call Him, becomes very real to us, and we interact with Him personally. But, but this is the really beautiful part of all of that to me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four posts that hold up the veil that allows us access into the holiest of holies, which I would liken the holiest of holies to being the book of Acts. And at the end of the Gospels, the Bible says that that veil was rent in twain. And now we have entered from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we have entered into the book of Acts, which is still being written today. Still being written today. So I knew him through his disp through dispensation of innocence, conscience, human government, patriarchs. That brought me to one level. And then I began to walk into 
I walked in all the knowledge I had of God. And then he showed me some more about him. He said, hey, I'm wonderful. I'm counselor. I'm the mighty God. I'm the everlasting father. I'm the prince of peace. Then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said, hey, let us show you all about Jesus and who he is. And then that the Lord said, now I will rip that veil and you can come through and you can enter boldly before the throne of grace. You can come into the book of Acts and in the book of Acts is the outpouring of the Spirit of God in the book of Acts. Woo! In the book of Acts, there is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In the book of Acts, people receive the Spirit. In the book of Acts, people are healed. In the book of Acts, people come into contact with God in a way that they could not even contact Him in the Gospels. Woo! Clap your hands to the Lord. You can pray at these posts. And you can thank God at the first gate. Lord, thank you for where you have brought me from. Thank you for all that you have done in my life. God, I, you have brought me a mighty long way. You have brought me a mighty long way. Thank you for everything that you were. Lord, be wonderful to me. Be counselor to me. Be the mighty God. Be the everlasting Father. Be the Prince of Peace. Do that for my family. Do that for my church family. Do that for my friends. Do that for my co-workers, God. Do all of those things. And then, Lord, thank you for the personal way that you came to us as Emmanuel, God, with us. And thank you, Lord, that you ripped the veil and you have allowed us to go through. And we're going to pray our way through there in just a few weeks. I'm thankful for all that God has done for us all that God has shown us about who He is. Can you say amen? Let's stand together tonight, lift our hands to the Lord, and thank God for His goodness.